0: This last week, we started into the glory of God. Now, this is part of knowing God. And we were just talking back there this morning just for a second or two about knowing God and how much of a subject that is. And yet, knowing God personally and what He's like and what He wants and what He doesn't want is something for my part that's been left out of my Christian education, And like I told you, I went to three years of Bible school, studied Hebrew and Greek and could translate from English into those two languages and back. I could read the stuff. I didn't understand everything I was reading all the time, but I could get through all that stuff. And you know what good that did me as far as knowing God? Nothing. You know what good it did me to learn church history? Nothing. (laughs) You say, well, didn't you understand a little bit more about church history, how you got where you got and all that? Yeah, but what's that have to do with it? The fact is... Our instruction about knowing the one that created us has been neglected terribly. To the point right now, if I were to ask you, what does God want? You couldn't come up with hardly anything that he actually wants. What you'd come up with is the things that you think he wants. And most of those things would have to do with what he wants me to do and what he doesn't want me to do. You realize what that is? It's just like little kids. you got seven, 10-year-old kids, and you ask any of those kids, even 10, 12, 14, 15, 16, you say, what does your dad want for you? What does your dad want? You know what it's going to come down to, don't you? All the stuff that he's been got on about, taking out the trash and getting bad grades in school and being good to your brother and sister, that's what he thinks mom and dad wants. And if you're a mom and dad, you know that ain't it at all. That doesn't even come close. <laughs> I mean, that just barely scratches the surface. So when you say, What does God want? You got to quit being a kid. You got to start growing up and being an adult. When I was a child, you know, I thought as a child and I spake as a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. You say, What's all this got to do with anything? It has to do with what God started doing when Joan was in that hospital and working in this church, not only in my life, but your lives also. This lesson is not just about, okay, what did you learn? Like I spent a few weeks on. This lesson is a continuing part of our education is what it's about. And it has to do with where we started last week in Luke 17. We'll go back over to Luke 17, 11 to 19. And it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Verse 12, and as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. They lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priest. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God." Now, we can only guess at what he said when he turned back with a loud voice and glorified God, but I know one thing for sure, it wasn't thank you. You say, how do you know that? I'll show you in just a few minutes. Glorified God, and he fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, were there not 10 cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. Now, the glory of God is something that's beyond what we think it is. In fact, until this morning, I was stumbling forward to actually grasp the glory of God and figure out what that is. And I was studying through this stuff and reading some of that stuff, and boy, just like a light turned on. Well, that's what it is right there. It just all of a sudden started making sense. After being saved 34 years, you'd think, I wouldn't have any problem understanding what the glory of God was reading through the Bible as many times as I have and all the church services I sat in and everything else, I should be able to tell you. Somebody says to me, what's God want? I should be able to tell them. But you know, it would come right back down to the things that I've been taught, the things that I thought. If I didn't do it, then I was going to be in trouble. And if I did it, I was going to be in trouble. <laughs> That's what it came down to. It came down to just a pure matter of obedience. That's not what God's all about. Don't you think God could get obedience from you if He wanted to? (laughs) He's got the very hairs of your head numbered. If He wanted you to straighten out and do a certain list of things, He could get you to do it. He's not about that. He's about something else here. Now, only one in ten realize the magnitude of what just happened. One in ten. That's pretty sad odds when you stop and think about that. I'd like to think that we as a church here could get a whole lot closer to the 10. Everybody get involved and understand it. But it's not that easy. Way too much of church and Christian fellowship is about God instead of with Him. You say, what's that mean? Okay, parent leaves a letter for some kids, goes to work early in the morning, leaves a note for his kids, summertime, you know, they're off, and and do this and do this and do this and do this and get all this done. Those kids get up. They start reading through that list. Oh, Dad said he wanted you to do this, Billy. Let me see. That ain't what he said. He didn't say Billy. All of a sudden, you start arguing about what God said. And I got this idea, and you got that idea, and man, the whole thing comes down to, what's best for me is what I think it says. Don't you see that in the churches right now? Don't you see that in the doctrinal positions? If I don't do it, Then God must be again it. And if you're doing it, God's again you because if I'm not doing it, then I'm right and God's right and so you're wrong. It's just arguing. And what's the difference? The difference is fellowshipping about God and fellowshipping with God. In that same scenario, if you could get Dad on the phone and say, Dad, we're reading this letter right here about what you want so and so to do and he says, Billy's supposed to do this, and Janie's supposed to do that. Okay, okay, here's what I want you to do. And he lays it out for him. That's fellowship with God. And the difference is that for a long, long time, our fellowship hadn't been with God near as much as it has been about God. It's just pick the Bible up and start reading through it and say, well, here's what the Bible says. You know how many preachers go to the Word of God for proof text? (laughs) They don't go there to find out what God said and stand up and say, thus saith the Lord. They say, man, my people need this and I got to go find some place to prove it. That's what they do. That's what's going on out there. And if it's something that irritated them last week, one of the church members isn't doing something or should be doing something, the offerings are down, man, we're going to get on stewardship now, you know. Soul winnings off, you know. These people aren't faithful enough in the bus ministry. (laughs) You're not visiting your Sunday school classes enough. How come? Because the numbers on the wall aren't big enough. You know, we're not growing. We're supposed to be taking this city for God. (laughs) If God wants to take a city, he don't need you to do it. He's got something else in mind totally and completely. And it has to do with what we just read right there. It has to do with his glory. It has to do with knowing him. It has to do with a personal relationship with Him. It has to do with intimacy, not just information. This isn't about doctrine or duty. It's about intimate fellowship with our Creator, about Him. You say, well, what are you talking about? Nine of them did not get it at all. They were all involved. They were all part of what happened. But only one of them got it. You say, well, what's it about? Well, it's still not about Old Testament survey or New Testament survey or study the scriptures or church history or the martyrs or stewardship or soul winning or prayer or literally a thousand other details taught and preached. It's an intimate study of one of the greatest characteristics of the one who loved us first. Our eternal heavenly father who in his house has mansions prepared for us. What do you do that for? He wants some close fellowship. He wants you moving in with him. Think about that stuff. Has it ever dawned on you one time that God has never needed anything and yet he went to all the trouble to buy something? How many times does God need to go to the store and buy something? (laughs) He can speak the stuff into existence and yet you're bought with a price. What's he got in mind? It's a whole lot more than what we think it is. And it's some innermost feelings, just like parents and children, that he's not discussing with you openly no more than a parent sits down with a kid and discusses their innermost feelings and desires for that child. When does a kid actually stop and consider the parents and what they feel and what they really want? I don't think they ever do. I think their whole life, you know, up until they get to be, what, about 60, Brother (laughs) Seldon? 75? I think the whole time, you know, it's just all about me and what's going on in my life and what problems I have and what things I want and what I can't get and the needs that I have and the people that are giving me trouble and my car that's breaking down and the bills and, I mean, everything else. Government, you know, that's stealing our money. (laughs) Somebody sent me a little story about a kid that wrote to God and said, dear God, I need $100. He put it in the mail and they laughed at it. And so they sent it to the president. The president looked at it and he says, that's kind of cute. This little kid sending and wanting $100. $5 would be like $100 to a kid that age. So he puts $5 in it and sent it back. Kid wrote another letter, sent it back to God, said, dear God, thank you for the $5. Unfortunately, because you sent it through the government and up there in D.C., they stole $95. <laughs> Them dirty crooks. Anyway, moving along here. This thing is about Him. It's not about us. It really is. And it's beyond what we think it is. It gets down to what's real close to Abba Father. This is something between you and Him. This is not from my lips to your ears and then you act upon it. It's not anything at all about that. This is stuff that's actually supposed to change your emotion and your affection, change how you feel. It's also fellowship in the Spirit. Look over at John, John 15, verse 26. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. Now look over at 16, 13, and 14. Howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth, for He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. He shall glorify Me, for He shall receive of Mine, and shall show it unto you. That glorifying is glorifying Jesus Christ. God says, I have glorified My name, and I will glorify it again. He that has seen me hath seen the Father. That was truly God manifest in the flesh. And the part that He was glorifying was not the flesh of Jesus Christ. It was the God part of Him. And the Holy Spirit's job is to speak of Him. Amen. You've heard a whole lot more about church work and church function and church history and Old Testament, New Testament survey and all the rest of that stuff than you've heard about Him. Why is that? It's because those kids getting together arguing about what he wrote down and left behind and it's fellowship about him, but it's not fellowship with him. If you're going to be walking in the spirit, then your attention is not going to be drawn to yourself and it's not going to be a matter of, okay, well, you know, I'll know the truth and the truth will set me free. It's all about me. No, if you know the truth, it'll set you free all right but it'll set you free in His liberty. It'll set you free in the fellowship with Him. You're not going to walk around worried about what anybody else ever thinks. Matter of fact, you walk around kind of feeling sorry for all the rest of them is what happened. I guarantee you that one that turned back, he felt sorry for the other nine. What would he think? Man, you guys just don't get it. I sure wish you'd have got it. Boy, you missed out on one of the best things that's ever happened. Anyway, This is not information only. It's about emotion and love changing intimacy with God. That's what it really is about. This thing about the glory of God has to do with you and Him personally. This is God showing Himself so that we can understand Him better and appreciate Him more. That's what it really is. You appreciate God? Yep, every time He does something when I need it. You appreciate God? Yeah, I appreciate it when He don't spank me when I need it. You know, it's kind of like you appreciate your parents? Yep, when they give me good stuff. Kids don't appreciate their parents. They don't know what goes on inside of the hearts and minds of their parents about them. You can't even know that stuff until you get to be a parent. And the longer you're a parent, the more you look back at your own parents and you think, man, oh man, is that really what was going on that whole time? And I thought it was all about just, you know, wearing me out. <laughs> I thought it had to do with just having to empty the trash. They just wanted somebody to take the trash out. That's the only reason they had me. (laughs) Anyway, getting back to Luke 17 real quick. Verse 13, they all ask. You know what that is when they ask? That's prayer. Anybody here pray for my wife? Anybody here pray for Sister Kay? Anybody here pray for Brother Steve? Or anything else that God has been involved in here recently especially? Did you pray affectionately? Did you pray fervently? Did you pray sincerely? Well, they were all praying, but only one of them got it. The other nine missed it. Only one of them understood. Who was he? He was the Samaritan. You know what connection that Samaritan had that the rest of them missed? Humility. Remember I said a few weeks back, you know, that I think humility is a key to understanding God? Why did the rest of them not get it? Because they weren't as humble as he was. Now I do believe that the more humble you are, the more undeserving you feel of God's blessings, the greater your gratitude. But I also think it's a key to understanding God. So why did God do that? Well, oh, God healed them because they were sick. <laughs> oh my goodness! But if that's all you can think of, you've missed the whole point. He said, "Where was this man born blind?" You know. <laughs> Mother and father sinned or did he sin? No, none of them. He was born blind so that God may be glorified. You say, what is that glorifying? That's that thankfulness, right? No. The nine didn't get it even with the 10th one's response. What are you talking about? You realize when that 10th one turned around and with a loud voice began to glorify God, they were right there with him. They heard the whole thing. And he was glorifying God, and while he was glorifying God, they were going, "What's wrong with you?" <laughs> I'm telling you, nine of them didn't get it with him actually involved in glorifying God with a loud voice. And the other nine just go, "What's going on?" And he turns around and heads back. what the other nine do? Come on going? Keep on going. They didn't get it. I mean, they were hearing it and they didn't get it. That must be pretty elusive stuff. So what is that, Lord? The Lord says, you know, I'll reveal myself to him whom I choose to reveal myself to. Many are called, few are chosen. So what does that mean? Does that make us special? No, it makes him special. Good night. You don't get it? The humble one is the one that got it. The minute you start thinking you're special, you just defeated the whole purpose. You just shut the whole thing right down. You start feeling like, well, I deserve it. We deserve nothing. He's the one that deserves something. Anyway, I was one of the nine. You say, what are you talking about? I was one of the nine. I was overwhelmed with gratitude. I was extremely grateful for what God had done and literally overwhelmed and am today. I wake up in the mornings before her and she'll be laying there. I look over at her and I get a warm feeling inside. I can't even describe. I'll be looking at her. Next thing I know, she'll go, what are you doing? <laughs> so I'm just looking at you. Cut it out. She'll get red in the face, turn over. You know, <laughs> Quit doing that. <laughs> Every day is great for me. My sense of thanksgiving waned at all. No, but I missed the most important part. I sure did. I wish I hadn't, but I did. Go back over to Psalm 50. Verse 15, And call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. Now, do you think that's being thankful? I taught you it was a while back, and I have to apologize, because it's not. It makes sense that it is. I mean, it fits together well enough, but it's not. And the way I can prove that to you is back over in Luke chapter 5. Just in case you don't get it yet, let's go back to Luke 5 and I'll show you what that actually is. Luke 5, I'm sure glad Luke wrote this thing. So why is that? Because the rest of the Gospels don't go into this detail. And without them, you miss the whole point. This is a great story here, so we'll just read verses 1 through 11. And it came to pass, as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake. But the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answered and said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. You notice that word master connects right back to those ten? That's what they called him. Peter is just about where they were before anything happened to him. Verse six And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fish, and their net brake. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ships, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him, at the draught of the fishes which they had taken... And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. You know what Peter saw? He saw the same thing that that Samaritan saw when he was healed from leprosy. He recognized who it was that had done that. You know what that is? That's the glory of God. You know how you know it wasn't gratitude? Because he left the fish. If it had been a matter of gratitude, he would have gone and sold those fish, the greatest catch they had ever taken. And yet they just walked off and left them on the beach. Matter of fact, they probably said, hey, Dad, you're on your own. you got enough to carry you for a while now. (laughs) You know what that is? That's the glory of God. What part? Tearing the nets, sinking the ships. How come? Think about it. Why is Peter walking on the water? Why? Why'd God have him do the impossible? Oh, just to prove all things are possible with God, only believe. <laughs> no, it has to do with His glory. This thing gets beyond it. Now, Peter got it. James and John got it. You know what that did? that bound them together with the Lord in a way you couldn't possibly do without it. And we're going to finish more of this up next week and get further into it. But you know what happened to you when you got saved? That's what happened to you right there. You recognized the moment you got saved, you recognized the glory of God. And your first thoughts were not that of gratefulness if you were anything like I was your first thoughts were just simply being overwhelmed by what had just happened. It wasn't until you kept thinking about it that you started being grateful for what had happened to you. I'm not going to hell anymore, I'm not this. Right at first, it was this weight is gone. I got this feeling of being clean for the first time in my life. I'm overwhelmed with this sense of freedom. I love everybody out there. Man, I'm a new creature. (laughs) Everything is different now, oh so different now. You're overwhelmed by what he had done. That was the first thing that happened. And then as you begin to think about it, you became more grateful. Now I was one of those nine. I was overwhelmed with gratitude. But I missed that part about the glory of God completely. We'll get into the glory of God a little bit more next week. Let's close in prayer.